What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Well, if you're happy in the Lord this morning, would you say amen? amen. I like to be around happy Christians, don't you? I'm going to heaven and I'm not mad about it. And uh, I've tried to remind my countenance that I'm saved. My name's been written down. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, and I'm not on parole, but I've been pardoned. I've been exonerated by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a joy to be with you here. And thankful for your pastor's friendship, and he was a, a great student at school. He's a great fella, uh, laborer to have in the dormitories. I don't have anything uh, bad to say about him at all, and uh, he was he was a good one. We had, uh, he's got a little maybe a little West Virginia blood in him. I think that's maybe what helps him. <laughs> and uh, best, best Virginia blood. And uh, uh, anyhow, we, we've, uh, we've had a great time uh, being friends, getting to serve the Lord together and travel uh, to England uh, a year or two ago now. I forgot when it was, but I haven't seen him since last year. And the, uh, I think I was here in May back on uh, Mother's Day, and, but we, we traveled to England together and had a wonderful trip together, and I uh, appreciate uh, the invitation. First Samuel chapter 17, if you're there, would you say hallelujah? hallelujah. If not, oh me. First Samuel 17. Verse number 1 gives us a geographical location of where Israel and the Philistines are. Verse number 2, we'll pick up our reading. And the Bible says, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. Now I'm starting to understand what it means to set the battle in array. Now that I'm parenting, I have one that's four and one that's five. And the battle gets set in array over a lot of little different things. They're all throughout the day. It might be a toy, might be a ball, might be food. And uh, they may fight over food because they see Daddy fight over food. But <laughs> I, I, I'm starting to understand more about the battle being set in array. And here the children of Israel and the Philistines are in this valley. In verse number 3, And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath. May I just make mention that David never refers to him as the Goliath of Gath. He refers to him as this Philistine. And as I've read the Psalms, and you can correct me, but I, I find no mention of David identifying Goliath or Philistine in the Psalms. Uh, quite often when you think about David, if you said, uh, shout out the first thing that comes to your mind whenever you say uh, David, most people would either say Goliath or Bathsheba. He's known for one of his greatest victories and one of his major defeats or falls. But uh, it's interesting that he never refers to him as Goliath of Gath. 
Notice his height, six cubits and a span. In other words, it means he's not a midget. He's not small. He's not little. I'm not trying to belittle anybody. Certainly not Goliath. But he's a big man. Large stature. There's one of these world champion kind of guys that go all around the world doing exploits with all these different types of heavy things. His name's Brian Shaw. He's, he's a giant of a man. I can lift all kinds of heavy things and carry blocks around and throw heavy things way up into the sky and all that sort of stuff. World's strongest man competitor. Incredible. But I still believe Brian Shaw would pale in comparison to Goliath. He's a big man. The Bible says in verse number 5, And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. You say, Preacher, what does that mean? It's heavy. <laughs> Weighs a lot. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out and set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants of Saul? He's belittling Saul. He's belittling the children of Israel. Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will he be your servants. We will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall be ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now here's a verse that just captured me the other day as I'm devotionally reading through 1 Samuel. Here it is in verse number 11. And when Saul, first king of Israel, a large man himself, head and shoulders over the rest of the men, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were full of faith and great trust in Almighty God. Excuse me, wrong version. The Bible says they were dismayed without hope, greatly afraid, gripped with fear. Now, I just want to say on the outset of this this morning is I don't believe, I just personally don't believe that 1 Samuel 17 is one of these passages of Scripture where we try to uh, say faith over fear and all that type of thing and, uh, and all that because it's not so much about David. It's not so much about the stone. It's not so much about the sling. It's not about Goliath. It's about the great God of heaven. That's right. Amen. Because this is an unexpected outcome in 1 Samuel 17. Amen. Could not have been carried out outside of the power of God. But when I look at this, I thought this characterizes many of the professing Christians in America. They are dismayed and greatly afraid. 
as many professing believers all across this nation, which we call America, made up of 3,200 counties and 50 states, sit behind a television week after week and hear news anchors talk about current events, I hear fear, I hear worry, I hear doubt coming from the lips of believers. Well, we're living in end times. That's what Paul talked about 2,000 years ago. People sit around and listen to political leaders and they become dismayed and greatly afraid. This verse characterizes the majority of professing Christians in America. I said many and the majority. I have not said all. Because praise God, I know that there are some in America that have great faith and great hope and great trust in Almighty God. And so when I read this, I thought, my children don't need to see a daddy living, dismayed, and greatly afraid. My wife does not need a husband that is living without hope and gripped by fear. My wife needs a husband that has faith and confidence and trust in Almighty God. When I read this verse, I was just sitting in the um, private room of my own home and just sitting here just reading the Word of God. And I thought, wow, I've read 1 Samuel 17 I don't know how many times in my life. I'm attracted to 1 Samuel 17 because it's a fight scene. And I love to wrestle growing up. I I, I love to fight growing up. I love to fight so much, I I got inside of a ring one time on a Saturday night or Friday night, I can't remember now, and fought inside of a ring. And I won. I thought, man, this is is great. And then I I got to watching this thing on television called UFC, Mixed Martial Arts, where they get inside of an octagon, inside of a cage with open palm gloves and no headgear. Open palm gloves just simply means you don't have pillows on your hands. And they get inside of this octagon and they beat each other's head like a drum. I thought, man, that really appealed to me as a 19-year-old boy. I lost that one. I won one and I lost one. I thought, I'm 50%. That's good. And it's really uh, appealed to me. But now that I'm a husband and now that I'm a daddy and now I'm 36 years old and traveling the country, preaching the Word of God, and here in just a few weeks, being a Middle Eastern country where only 2% of the people claim to be a Christian and it's predominantly Islamic followers there. But as I've traveled the country and, and I go around, I, I hear people talking about how bad it is. I think, dear God in heaven, don't talk to my children. If that's all you've got to say is how bad the world is and how bad the political environment is and how bad the government is, and I understand it's corrupt and kooky and chaotic in the world in which we live, but it was crazy and kooky and chaotic in Noah's day as the pastor talked about the book of the beginnings. Some things never change. Can I remind you this morning the grace of God never changes? God is just as good today as He was in Noah's day. He's just as loving and forgiving and almighty in Abraham's day and Joseph's day and Joshua's day and Moses' day and Elijah's day and Paul's day and John and James and 
the rest of the disciples, he has not changed. In this passage before us, we understand that young David is going to come out one against another. One man is going to be sent out to represent the rest of the congregation, per se. The rest of that country. It's a David and Goliath battle. And it reminds me of one sent from heaven. Jesus coming to do battle, coming to do the will of God, representing the human race. He's the sinless, spotless Lamb of God that left the glories of heaven to come to a sin-cursed earth, to become our substitute for us, to go to Calvary's cross and go through the undiluted wrath of a thrice-holy, sin-hating God hanging between heaven and earth. And his first words from the cross were words of forgiveness. And we have a difficult time forgiving a family member, not returning a casserole dish. (laughs) May God in heaven help us. His first words from the cross were words of forgiveness. As we sang just a moment ago, he said, It is finished, not I am finished. He gave up the ghost. He was buried, and don't get excited, but on the third and glorious day, he rose again. He's alive forevermore. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for you and I. He won the battle for us. He did not die a victim. He was not murdered. He voluntarily gave up his life. He died a victor. He rose again a victor. His blood is just as powerful today in 2024 as it was 2,000 years ago. There is no reason for you and I to be characterized by verse number 11. There's no reason that people should say, "Those, those folk over at Clearbrook Baptist Church, they claim to know God. They claim to believe the book. They, they, they claim the blood of Jesus. They, they claim the blessed hope, but they walk around dismayed, hopeless, gripped by fear. I don't know what's going to happen in 2024. I hear people say, oh, it's election year and all this sort of stuff. I don't know if there's going to be a cyber warfare that embarrasses COVID-19 and shuts down the world again. I don't know. It really doesn't matter. I'm not concerned about the political realm. I'm not concerned about the economic environment in America because my faith is not placed in almighty dollar. My faith is not placed in a credit card nor Capital One. My my trust is not in who occupies uh, the the, the White House. My, My trust is not in our current administration nor the past administration or nor the one that's coming in. My faith and hope and trust and allegiance and loyalty ought to be given to the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no reason for us to be dismayed and greatly afraid. You say, well, preacher, then how should we live? I'm glad you asked. Look in verse number 29 for just a moment. David has showed up on the scene. He gets criticized by his brothers. You know, there's a, there's a, There's a critic nearly in every crowd. I don't know who the critic is in this church. I don't know who the wiggle jaw and the know-it-all is in this church. 
And so, oh, I've been blessed and God's given me the greatest gift. I said, what is it? And gossip. <laughs> well, don't exercise that one, friend. But his brothers are critical. You know, a critic wants to make a point, but a coach wants to make a difference. Don't, don't be old critical. Don't be old, old negative Nelly. Don't be the wiggle jaw. Don't be the know-it-all. Your, your, your pastor and his mom and dad, they know where Jumping Branch is, where I come from. Small town. I mean, incredibly small. Uh, traffic jams and Jumping Branch come from cows and tractors. <laughs> I mean, it's small. If your lawnmower's cutting crooked, everybody in the community knows it. If you didn't return that casserole dish, everybody knows about it. David shows up, his brothers picking on him, critical. But he asks a question in verse number 29. And David said, what have I now done? Notice this, is there not a cause? If we are going to remove ourselves, divorce ourselves from living like verse number 11 and really live unto something, we got to understand our cause. We have to understand our purpose. David said, is there not a cause? I, I see the children of Israel. I see the Philistines. I understand uh, that there's a giant here uh, and, and what's taking place. But he, he, he portrays this question. He, he kicks out this question to him. Is there not a cause? Notice verse number 30. And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. So there's a, a, a great discussion, a great conversation that's taking place among him and his brothers and the crowd and the congregation of the First Baptist Church of Israel in the Valley of Elah. <laughs> but he says, is there not a cause? How should we live in 2024? We should live for Christ's cause. Uh, we, we live from victory unto victory. We're, we're not working for victory. Christ has accomplished that for us. As I was thinking about this, is there not a cause? And what purpose should we live for? And how should we behave ourselves? And how uh, we should conduct ourselves? And we should always be on mission whether we like it or not. You know, electricians train journeymen. I think that's how it goes or something like that. But electricians train other electricians. Typically, you don't have plumbers training electricians and you don't have electricians training plumbers, right? You've got H2O plumbers and you've got spark plumbers. I'm neither one of them. I'm not an electrician. I, I'm not a plumber. I can make it leak and I can make it burn down. <laughs> it did burn down. <laughs> Last year, March 15th, my house burnt to the ground, not because of my electrical work, but is, is, is there not a cause? Are we living on mission? Are we living on purpose? Are we teaching the younger generation about God? As I was thinking about these young people gathered around your pastor just a moment ago. I was looking at them. They're, they're, they're made on purpose. Somebody may call them an accident. No, no, no. They were made on purpose. 
By the way, we have some people in Congress right now trying to say when a woman becomes expectant with child, if she does not want the child, then we will call that child a disease and then we can get rid of the disease. That is sad. It's a terrible thing. But they were made on purpose. Is there not a cause for us to stand on biblical truth and biblical doctrine and pass it on to the next generation? But a verse I was thinking about in the New Testament that really got a hold of my heart just in, in thinking about this was, comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 20 and 21. You write these references down. You're welcome to turn to it. The Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse number 20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, living for a cause, living for a purpose. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. And here's one of the heart-stirring motives for the mission to live for a cause in verse number 21. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If you are saved, if you are a child of God, you have something to live for. You have a cause. You have a mission. You have a purpose. If you're not saved here this morning, I want you to know that you are loved by God. You say, how do you know that I'm loved by God? Well, one, it's stated clearly in the Word of God, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ died for sin. Christ died for sinners. And we have the wonderful privilege to believe on Christ for salvation. He says, is there not a cause? We have something to live for. Excuse me, we have someone to live for. Amen. Not only that do I see in this passage of Scripture here, but number two this morning, not only live for God's call, but number two, labor in God's name. We're not going to read all of 1 Samuel 17. Some of you would fall asleep this morning. Some of you wake up right now maybe. 1 Samuel 17, verse number 45, the Bible says, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. Here it is. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. We need to labor in God's name. He said, What do you mean by that, preacher? I love the book of Acts. How many of you have a favorite copy of the Word of God? You have Two of you. Three, okay. Three of you have a favorite book of the Bible. Favorite, I love the book of Acts. When you take off reading in the book of Acts, it's all about Jesus' name. It's about the resurrected Lord. I mean, when you take off reading in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, when, when Peter comes across the, the lame man, he didn't say, rise in the name of Peter. What does he say? Rise in the name of Jesus. Silver and gold, I, I, have I none? He's a preacher, he ain't got any money. But he says, rise in the name of Jesus. We need to labor in God's name. In other words, how we live portrays to other people whose name we are bearing. David says to Goliath, you come to me with that sword, you come to me with that shield, you come to me with that spear, but I have come with a name because there's power in that name. 
That's the name I called on for pardon. Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's a name of pardon. Philippians chapter 2 teaches us that Jesus' name is a name of preeminence. Because his name is above every other name and it's a name of power because one day every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So as a child of God, our lips and our lifestyle bears the name of Jesus and our lips and our lifestyle either takes the name of God in vain or in victory. The world takes God's name in vain. It ought not be so among God's children. You ever hear somebody say, Oh, Buddha. Get mad and say, Oh, Muhammad. No, no, no. They, they take our Lord's name, don't they? They don't take Confucius' name in vain. They don't use his name flippantly or Buddha and Muhammad and whatever other name out there for some pet de- uh, dead uh, deities and all that sort of thing. No, no, they, they take our Lord's name. That hurts my heart. I don't go correcting them. That would be dealing with the fruit. I've got to go to the root. It's unbelief in God and you've got to take the truth of God's word to the root of the matter and teach them about the grace of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. Look, hey, you need forgiveness. You need pardon. You need to understand that name that you took in vain, you could be taking it in victory. You could have eternal life through God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't have your name written down in the Lamb's book of life. You can have a live for all of eternity with Jesus. Oh, don't be taking God's name in vain. Take it in victory. And that goes, as I said a moment ago, by lips and by your life. Uh, You're the only Bible that some people will ever see. Is there any healthy models in your life that represent a changed life? Is there any healthy habits that really indicate that you're a child of God? Is there anything that's being professed from your lips that would lead people to the grace and goodness of God? Is there anything coming out of this, this jaw right here that tells others about forgiveness and repentance and justification by faith? Or is it just a continual commentary on how nasty and bad everything is in the world? Please, if that's all you have to talk about, don't talk to my children. I want them to know that God is good and that there's a cause and that we can take God's name in victory that we can labor in God's name, that God can bless what we're doing because we're pleading the name of Jesus Christ over the work that God has called us to do. He said, well, God hasn't called me to be a preacher. God hasn't called me to be a missionary. God, if, if you're here and you're saved, you have a cause, you have a purpose. God has a mission for you. Make sure you labor in God's name in 2024. Thirdly, this morning... Would you notice here in verse 46, 47, live for the glory of God. 
Verse number 46, the Bible says, This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee. I mean, he tells him what he's going to do. I, I, I love it. I mean, he explains clearly to, to the Philistine. He says, I will take thine head from thee, and I will give it to the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day, and to the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Thirdly, this morning, I want to encourage you to live for the glory of God. Live for God's cause. Labor in God's name. Labor in victory. And live for the glory of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 17 says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, notice this, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, labor in his name, giving thanks to the God and the Father by him. Whatsoever we do. Is there anything that's going on in your life right now that you cannot do for the glory of God? Something that you're listening to? Something that you're looking at? Something that you're allowing to go into your body that is not bringing the, a glory to His name? Is there gossip? Is there criticism? Is there doubt? Is there worry? Is there fear? Are you living in dismay and greatly afraid? Because God can't bless that. And God is, does not receive any glory or honor by His children going around hopeless. We ought to be the most excited, enthusiastic people on the face of this terrestrial ball which we call earth. Live for the glory of God. What does that look like? What does that sound like? Well, it sounds like a changed life. It sounds like a person that has went from death unto life. It sounds like a person that was once on their way to hell and now they're on their way to heaven because of Jesus it was once a person that denied God and denounced God, but now they're devoted to God. They're a disciplined Christian. They're reading the Word of God. They're studying the Word of God. They're feeding their inner man. They're taking care of their spirit and soul and body. They're nourished on the Word of God. They're praying for the Holy Spirit to guide them. This is a lamp and a light under their path. This is what's guiding their home. This is what's keeping their heart. This is what's helping them stay humble and holy and hungry for righteousness. Live for the glory of God. David says that all the earth may know. He didn't want to win a, a, a victory in the Valley of Elah that day so everybody could go around singing his song, which we'll find a little bit later tonight if you come back. To, everybody comes back at 6 o'clock on Sunday night, right? Are y'all going to be back tonight? And uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 18 tonight. But you find all these ladies start, they, they start, it was the number one hit song on the radio. When you turned on Spotify and iTunes and, and the YouTube and all that sort of stuff, all these ladies were singing David's song. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. He did not win the valley that day so people would sing his song. He was used of God that day so that people would sing his great God in heaven's song. Oh, there was a song saying in the book of Exodus when God brought them through the Red Sea. Hannah sang a song. Mary sang a song. May God help us sing a song for His glory and His honor. One last verse, verse 47. He says, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth, not with sword and spear, 
He gives God the glory. For the battle is the Republicans. <laughs> Wrong version again, excuse me. For the battle is the Lord's. And He will give you into our hands. He gave God glory and He expected God to work. Will you live with an expectancy for God to work in 2024 in your family, in your marriage, in your children's lives, your grandchildren's lives, niece or nephew that's gone prodigal? They once used to sat, seat next to you in church, but they, they no longer want God, that book, that church building. If we started living for the glory of God, laboring in God's name, and living for His cause, I think, I just happen to think, we'd see more victories. Because we'd be expecting them. Because we'd be looking for them. We'd be praying specifically. We'd be trusting God. We wouldn't be gripped by fear. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now that was written to a, a man who was to be pastoring a church in Ephesus. But I believe it can be applied to us. And may God help us not be gripped by fear and hopeless, but live for His cause, His glory, laboring in God's name. What's up guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.